Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network, and this episode's guest is former Michigan All-American tight end Jake Butt. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, enthusiasm. Before we get to the interview with Jake, quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Great program there, longtime sponsor at uh, Northwestern School of Professional Studies. Definitely check it out if you're looking to work in sports. Looking to work at a place like Big Ten Network. All right. Like I mentioned at the top, the guest is Jay Booty himself. Great name. Even better guess. Um, really was not surprised, but still kind of blown away by his uh, skill at breaking down football for the layman like myself and um, able to do that, you know, without any real media experience aside from as he kind of put it, going on podcasts and putting himself out there after uh, retiring from football this past summer. Uh, he is, as you'll hear on the pod coming up, just extremely talented at uh, at talking football, talking ball, and, and having great conversations. So can't wait for you guys to hear the interview with Jake, and we'll get to him in a moment. Um, also, on the back half of the show, we have Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research. Harold is on pretty much every week um, or every episode to break down what's going on in Big Ten football and basketball. Obviously, with a huge game, we want to talk to Harold, get his input on the college football playoff game between Michigan and, and Georgia coming up. Also, got into some of the other bowls as well. Um, but first, we'll get to Jake and the chance to catch up with him post-NFL career. Um, he's been doing a lot of media lately, and basically with uh, his – five-year anniversary of his injury coming up in the 2016 Orange Bowl um, where he tore his ACL and Michigan going back to the Orange Bowl. It's been very newsworthy and, and discussion-worthy and uh, he shares his perspective here on the podcast on not only that injury but also his entire career, uh, updates us on what he's been up to and how he kind of got to this point in his post-football life and career and uh, of course we talk a lot of Michigan football and preview the game against Georgia coming up. So a lot of good stuff from Jake, and we will get right to it. It's a Take 10 Podcast discussion with Jake Butt. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by an All-American tight end from the University of Michigan, uh, Michigan alum. It is Jake Butt, and he's also formerly of the Denver Broncos. Jake, how's your Monday going, man? Big week. <laughs> Monday is great. It's a holiday season, so it's always, you know, it's reason to smile. But Michigan hasn't had an opportunity like this, you know, at, at least in a really, really long time. So that's double reason to smile. I'm going to be going down to the game, triple reason to smile. I'll be down to the sunshine and 80 degree weather. I'm up North right now. So we got a lot of momentum going. I'm excited. Um, of course, you know, the rivalries are great Ohio state versus Michigan, but there's also like a big 10 sec rivalry. So uh, me and Paul Feinbaum have gotten into it on Twitter in the past, a lot of bragging rights for the North versus the South, a lot of, a lot of great narratives going on. Um, I'm excited to go check out that game. 
Yeah, this maybe isn't the most important question, but talked about going down to Miami. I'll see you there. Uh, I don't know if you get a little nervous like me, you know, going south in the winter. Like, I, I don't have my tan going yet. Uh, I love getting some sunshine, obviously, but I always feel like a fish out of water getting down there, tan, like out of shape, all that. Do you have the same issue? I'm, I'm Italian, so I tan really, really easily. So I, it plays in my favor. My fiance is actually Italian too, but she has blonde hair, very like light skin. And I actually didn't believe her. She's from, she's like a different part of Italy where that's, that's how it goes. I always knew that Italian with the dark hair, dark complexion, you tan very easily. So she got a spray tan. I did not do it. I'm going to have to do it the natural way before we go down there. Meanwhile, I'm going to look like Mr. Krabs when he's out of his shell. down there. <laughs> uh, all right. So obviously you're following this entire ride. Um, saw you a few weeks ago in Indianapolis and just curious how many games you've gotten to, um, you know, kind of how you're consuming this now that you're on the alumni side of things and, and obviously staying invested in what is the most special season, like you said, in a long time. Yeah, I've been to every home game this year, um, you know, traveled to the Big Ten Championship, now going to, you know, the, the playoffs and I'll be at the national championship if they go on and win. I may just go anyways, um, but it's been great. It's, it's been great for a number of reasons. Obviously, the team's success is always awesome but this year that doesn't tell the full story not a lot of people gave us a chance i think our over under win total was seven and a half to start the season unranked um you go all the way back to last season people wanted jim harbaugh gone they were questioning ward manual there's a lot of you know question marks around this program and what i find fascinating fascinating is in a social media driven world in a in a world that knows immediacy there's a lot of emotional decisions, you know, and actually the hardest thing you can do in that environment is to do nothing and to just trust your process. Um, even after, after the Michigan State game this year, that was the big game on Michigan's schedule. And here we go. We lose a close one. Should have won. Everybody's saying, and here we go. Same old Michigan. Do nothing. We trust our process. We all of our goals are still in front of us. If we win out, we have a chance to play for the Big Ten championship. So I'm most happy for Coach Harbaugh. He takes a lot of the heat. Um, and you know, when you're the head guy, when your guy's successful as he's been, he understands it and he gets it, but he takes a lot of the heat. It's great to see him getting a lot of the praise now. Um, and, and it takes a leader to band together and, and get 120 college players on the same page, working towards a common goal. I think Jim's leadership has really shined through this year. Um, it's a tough matchup down in Georgia, but I really think we got a great chance. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of brought up the vibe um, and perspective both inside and outside the program heading into the season because I'm just curious if you thought uh, that they had this in them, this run, this season, because I'll admit that I didn't. Like, I thought, you know, kind of just how, like you said, in the social media world, you're following all these programs and you're, you're reactionary more than anything. I kind of wondered if, it, you know, that was the right move, staying the course. Uh, curious what you thought, you know, now being a having the perspective to look back on things and is it the same outlook that you had entering the season and when, and when you saw they were going to run it back yeah i mean did i think that they would have this level of success no but did i immediately discount this from being a possibility i didn't think so either you know context matters in football momentum matters there's certain pieces that you know are very important pieces when you look at the full picture you know michigan was very unsuccessful last year but what were we missing we did not have leadership you know, when Cade came in and won this, you know, started, you know, getting some starts at quarterback and you saw how that kind of settled the offense. We actually looked a little bit better, maybe not prolific, but our offense looked better. 
Hutch was hurt last year. That dude is clearly, clearly the heartbeat of not just the defense, but probably the entire program. He's the face of the program. And rightfully so, he's a beast. You miss those two pieces. It's not just their talent on the field. It's their leadership within the locker room with their respective sides of the ball. It's the energy they bring to practice and lead by example. And that's infectious throughout the whole team. So, you know, when they look at Cade McNamara, you think guys are like, ah, well, you know, he's not, he's not a Cam Newton. He's not a, you know, he's not one of these guys that's hyper, hyper talented, but he's pretty damn talented and he can make all the throws. But what he does best is his leadership, his understanding of the game of football. He gets everyone on offense lined up, settled, gets you in a schematic pre-snap advantage, which is critical. So, um, you know, you look back to the early season, I wanted to see a couple of those early games and I love the way we were running the ball. Being down on the sideline, watching the team gel together, I think is very important. Um, no one was arguing amongst themselves. They were problem-solving mode. They were celebrating each other's wins. Those are all signs of a healthy culture and a healthy team. And when you have that, and then you got to see the talent continue to raise bars throughout the season, you got a recipe for a chance for a lot of success. And ultimately, that's what Michigan has had. Yeah, I mean, clearly, just listen to you now and, and from the content you've made with us uh, you know, before this, you clearly have a really sharp football mind. I can't wait to get into this, this game a little bit with you and, and explore that matchup a little more. Uh, but first I want to talk a little bit more about how you've kind of handled this really brief post-retirement uh, from the NFL, right? I think we're around the same age. You, you uh, Your last year in college was, was 2016. Um, so, you know, still relatively young, but also trying to navigate post-football life. Um, I mentioned, saw you in Indianapolis. Uh, my guy, who we work with closely, Kenny Bell pointed you out. You clearly know him from uh, your time uh, in Denver. He's a he's a big Denver guy, and he's also been working with us the last couple of years. You know, doing content, kind of starting to do, or doing content that you were starting to do with us in the last few weeks. If you're following our Big Ten Network social media uh, platforms, so I see a lot of similarities, honestly, between you and Kenny. With you know the injuries that force you out of the league, the stardom that you had in college, the, the brand, the instant, uh, you know, recognizability really among your fan base. So just take it through your post-retirement, what you've been up to and kind of how, like I said, you're navigating just this, uh, this post-football life. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's, we could do a whole podcast on that alone. You know, the transition away from football is really tough. Um, it's your identity. It's who I was my entire life. Um, and it's, it's very fulfilling to go out there and be, you know, a macho man, like almost like a modern day gladiator, you know, your numbers called and, um, you know, the, the emotion that you get from making big plays and playing on Saturdays and Sundays really can't be met. Um, and for me, the injuries were really frustrating. They just kept piling and piling and piling. And my identity was to be the guy that you could rely on when it was third and six, I was going to be on the field. I was going to win my route. I was going to catch the ball. I was always available for my ACL my sophomore year in college I played in a game six months later so they, they said it was the fastest recovery they'd ever seen by an ACL so for me I was never a guy that was injured and now I reached the pinnacle of my career my childhood dream of playing in the NFL and now I was never healthy it was the exact opposite that that was really really tough mentally ultimately the injuries just kept piling and piling and um, I had to make the decision you know it's best for me physically mentally long term that I needed to transition away from football um, and that was tough, man, is, is now not only do you not have a purpose, there's no structure, there's a lot of question marks, you can get paralyzed by the world of possibilities, there's so many possibilities that you don't know which way to go. 
but I just kept showing up. I was I started with a couple of Michigan podcasts, calling into radios, um, and it was early in the season. I didn't still know what I wanted to do, but as times went on, I realized, you know, not every day is perfect, but boy, I have a hell of a time when I'm talking football, um, not just Michigan football. Of course, I love talking Michigan football, just but football in general. It's, it's um, I light up about it, kind of triggers my brain, um, and it, it's really enjoyable, and when I watch the game of football, even when I was in film back in college or Denver, I, I like to watch the total picture. Um, fans see the end result. They see an 80-yard run, and they're like, that's great. But there's great value in being able to immediately recognize, well, actually, it was the left guard, left tackle. They're double team. They displaced the defensive end. They climbed and put a hat on the hat with the linebacker. That's what created the scene. You know, to be able to recognize that and do it in a quick manner. Um, there's great value in that in, in our world today. So that's how I watch the game. It's been awesome to get to know you guys and do more stuff uh, together. Hopefully Michigan can win and we can do a, a national championship preview. That'd be great, but looking forward to more of it in the future. Yeah, and I tell Kenny all the time, we talk about this, how much value there is in you know having a passionate fan base, having, obviously a lot of work goes into it on, on your end, right? Like you guys were stars in college. You guys are personable, talented individuals. And and just how that's kind of, you know, reciprocated. We see it when I'm at a Big Ten campus, especially in Nebraska, walking around with him. The guy can't go, you know, 10 feet without being asked for a picture. So, yeah. you know, you guys have positioned yourselves really well with this massive, massive audience that you have, you know, gained by going to these major, major college football programs. So I guess my follow-up to that is, is media something that you would look to do as like a, a primary type of pursuit or is it more something on the side? And, and if so, what are you doing career-wise uh, post-football? Yeah. I mean, this, this absolutely could be, I mean, it's, it's, I'm just learning that this is really even a possibility. It's crazy um, to think, Hey man, I can get paid to talk football. I, you know, they say, if you do what you love, you never actually work a day in your life. So that's very exciting. Um, and I think it's a, it's a real, real possibility. Um, and, and like you said, it, it kind of started with going when I first became a freshman at Michigan um, and I was able to secure a starting role. So I had a lot of equity buildup at Michigan over four years across the Big Ten over four years. Um, and you just always try to treat the media well, treat people with respect, try to give thoughtful answers um, without giving away too much of your scheme. Um, within the game. So it's kind of been in practice for a very long time. It feels very natural to me when we do it right now. So um, that part's really, really exciting. Um, and we'll see where it goes. Um, like I said, this is just retired here back in, in August. So it's very fresh, very new. Um, the one thing I do know is I very much enjoy talking football. I really love hopping on these podcasts, radio shows, doing some stuff on television. Um, it really stimulates my brain like nothing else that I've, you know, tried post-career. So I definitely can see this being a big, big part of my future. Yeah, you talked about giving thoughtful answers and you recently gave a, a lot of thoughtful, very candid answers to The Athletic, um, talking about your injury, your series of injuries since the 2016 Orange Bowl when uh, you elected to play. And that has been a storyline and a narrative now when so many college athletes have tried to decide whether they should forego their bowl games playing them. And, and basically it seems like you went to social media first and you were like, all right, you know, keep my name out of your mouth unless you get my actual thoughts on it. And the yeah. athletic, you know, followed up and basically 
I just want to get your, you know, your, your motivation for kind of putting yourself out there, being vulnerable about it. Um, what drove you to do that? Was it basically just sick of seeing the, the narrative pop up year after year? What was it? Uh, I'm a pretty open guy. I'm not afraid to talk about, you know, my successes, my failures. I, I like to, I, I'm, I think we all go through it and there's really shouldn't be a stigma around it. I'll just, I'll just talk about it. And especially it's important because people think football players are, they, they put us like up in this box, like untouchable and that we have life all figured out. We have a lot of answers and that we're constantly, everything's great, but that's just not true at all. You know, for me, I was going through a lot of things because of these injuries and it didn't matter that I would had an NFL salary or had a nice car or lived in a nice apartment. None of that mattered. Like life is just life. So I like to talk about that now, you know, in regards, it's obviously bowl season. You see guys sitting out. It seems more and more each year people are sitting out of bowl games. And what was funny is, you know, I got injured, but I said I had no regrets. So I have people using my story saying of why players should play in the game. And then on the exact opposite end of the spectrum saying why players shouldn't play in the game. So people are arguing against each other using my story for both sides. And I figured, hey, man, this is a great opportunity for me to get out in the media and, and speak for myself. Um, and, you know, the athletic, I, I told him, I'm like, a lot of people, you know, put words in my mouth and, and try to, you know, I guess he, they take what I say and write it in an article in their own words. What I loved about that article it, is it was the raw question and the raw answer and you know, it's 13 and over. I don't know if you don't cuss in your house, don't let your kids read the, read the story. Cause it was about as raw as it comes. Um, and it just shows too, again, is football is the best sport in the world. It is when it's done right. It is just raw. It's like a chess match. It's like a beautiful piece of art. There's so many moving pieces. Um, what I love about college football is the emotion, the school bands, the, the tribal like loyalty to your university and to one another um, there's just nothing like it. So for me, it was an opportunity to show, man, I'm an emotional guy. Like I genuinely love my job when I'm out there playing and I love to have an opportunity to talk about it, but it's not just good. It's peaks and valleys. It's ebbs and flows. And they say football is like a metaphor for life. It's a teacher for life. I think that story was like the perfect avenue to, to really deliver that point home. Well, you provided nuance and like that is something that is so lacking, especially when we get into online arguments, Twitter fights, your perspective was, was great because you saw, you, you pointed out how you could see why players would make that business decision. But at the same time, you're like, no, I'm, I'm effing playing, you know? So just providing that nuance. And, and I think you would agree with me that nuance is something that is uh, lacking a lot of times. And not only that discussion, but just a lot of times when people talk, whether it's football or, I mean, I don't know. I brought up your uh, opportunity at Michigan and playing there and, you know, people will discount, I think, that experience and that audience you open yourself up to at a big school like that when ragging on, you know, players not getting enough in college or not getting – it's a whole other discussion. But um, I feel like it's another one of those instances where nuance is lacking and you really provided that when it came to your particular situation. Yeah, sure. And it's, it's also – again, it's an instantaneous world. So people try to take a complex situation and make it black or white, or they try to use a generality to tell the full story, but that's never the case. Um, there's, there's often many, many layers, especially in the game of football, which is extremely complex. It's true in life. Life is complex. There isn't a black and white. It's actually often really gray and open for interpretation. Um, and, 
you know, that's why I like to get out there and, and, and just say, hey, listen, here's actually the full, you know, rundown of everything that goes on. Let the kids understand this. Let, let, let these young men try to grasp the entirety of the situation and then make the best decision for them. And what's right for someone may not be right for another one. What I find really funny about it is, you know, there's these fans that talk about loyalty and, they, and they're like, well, how could you ever leave your school? Well, we got Brian Kelly. You know, they, if, if, if it doesn't go well for Alabama, Notre Dame might have been in the college football playoff. And he's out the door and he sends us a text message to his team saying goodbye. So we're holding these 18 to 22 year old kids to a higher standard than our coaches. That's not right, man. That's not right. I can't stand for it. So um, I think you just it's, it's again, you could even go back to when LeBron left for Miami. This is kind of our world is people have to do what's best for them, even if that's making a hard decision that goes against what everybody else would think is right. If that's just the world we live in is everybody kind of has to do what's best for them. Um, and, and I think we're going to continue to see more of that going forward, especially if they don't expand the playoffs. I think you're going to see more and more guys sitting out and making business decisions. Yeah, for so long, I think the player perspective was lacking just as far as being in the national discussion, kind of being in that ecosystem. It was always former coaches sitting on TV sets and, and speaking to the media and setting the tone. And now, you know, with not only with social media, but getting younger, talented guys, you know, like yourself talking about it, our guy Joshua Perry talking about it, providing that perspective and kind of opening fans' eyes to, to that side of it. So I completely agree with you that, you know, that, that standard and, and kind of the perception among fans needs to, needs to shift. And I'm curious, um, just by spending time with another guy who dealt with injuries and was extremely talented uh, in college, uh, you might remember Mikey Dudek from Illinois, around the same age as you and us. Um, he, I know, kind of quit the physical side of things cold turkey after he retired from football uh, and really only jumped back into it when he was on my flag football team this past fall here in Chicago. So it's great to get him out there catching some balls. But I'm, I'm wondering, obviously, you're very involved in the game still, you know, talking about it and, and being invested. But how about on the physical side, you getting out there, you know, run routes, catching balls, jugs machine, anything or you, you kind of hands off for now? No, that's uh, I, I don't have too much interested uh, interest in doing that part, especially not the physical part of, you know, getting hit and hitting the ground hard and all that. I still work out. Um, I find that to be the best thing you can do for your mental health is, is being active. Um, I do a lot of stuff like saunas and cold tubs, which is kind of a recovery tool while you're playing. I love the mindset part of it, of getting in a freezing cold tub. And your mind is like, why are you doing this? Don't do this. And you just, it's, there's like a recognition saying, I am not my mind. I am not my thoughts. Then you get in the cold tub and your mind's like, get out. It's freezing in here. And you're able to kind of calm your mind down. It's like one of the most meditative experiences that you can do. So I love doing stuff like that. And sports wise, basketball, you know, I love basketball going back to high school. I was a, I was a really good hooper. You guys, I'm sure your listeners remember Karis LeVert um, at the university of Michigan, big time NBA player. I went to Pickerington North. He went to Pickerington Central. He was a great above me. So he won the conference player of the year. I won the runner up. So had I not been, had I not been behind a future, you know, $60 million NBA player, I might've been the conference player of the year for hoops too. So for me, I, it's a little bit easier. Great, great cardio. Cardio is hard. It's nice to do it in a competitive way. So getting out there and hooping and still lifting weights, still staying active. Not, not too much interested in playing football. Maybe maybe a quarterback. I would I would I would maybe do a uh, the all time quarterback. Wasn't Jay Sean Tate from Picktown too? Jay Sean um, Tate, Taco Charlton, Patrick Elfline. 
I knew I know it's a big football town, but man, that's a, that's an underrated basketball community too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Karis's little brother Daryl Avert, well, he was a big time basketball player. We had it. We had some good good players, and we're you know you often see it in private schools who are able to kind of recruit a little bit. We're a public school, so this was just born and raised in Pickerington, Ohio. Um, athletically, very very good school. Track was what uh, really good. Soccer, um, yeah, we we had some we had some big time talent. As a former public school hooper myself, I, I love to hear that. I uh, always got to put on for you know, talent pools like that before the big schools come in and recruit them, like you said. And there's nothing like, I'll tell you, the, the purest thing in sports is when you're playing your rivals in basketball and you got the student sections. Pickerington North versus Pickerington Central. I know everyone in our student section and everyone in their student section. And me and Taco, we would go back and forth. Taco's 6'6". Six, six. He was like 270 back in high school. He was a beast. I was 6'5", like 215 you know, both getting big time offers in football and the student sections would just go back and forth, obviously with my last name, probably some things I can't say on camera. It was a great time. Yeah. You're not wrong. That the passion in, in those high school, you know, Friday nights, that was, it was a blast. Take me back for sure. Um, also, you know, you mentioned by the way, how you just kind of, you're kind of an emotional guy, right. And, and sentimental guy, clearly not a football robot out there. Um, so is having to go back to Miami, right. Like to the orange bowl, is that something that, has an impact on you at all um or are you just gonna roll with it going down there it's not a big deal or, or is there some lingering uh you know just put it put it bluntly lingering trauma there going back to that building yeah side note real quick you said football robot that is like one of my favorite terms of all times because there is such maybe we can get into this on another day but there is such things as football robots and i completely agree um but yeah i, I was talking to coach harbaugh and uh dave abloff um who's like the you know, the head of the media uh, for the University of Michigan, um, like, hey, man, maybe I should just go walk that part of the field and kind of bury the hatchet because um, I'm, I'm always a guy that's just onward. So that happened. And like 10 minutes after I tore my ACL, I was in the locker room, like writing notes of like, hey, here's where I could have surgery. Here's where I would do the rehab. Here's how all that would look. I was like, let me just get a plan and move on from it. But like, at some point, you do have to deal with you know, what actually happened. And it, and it was a very pivotal, pivotal moment in my life. Um, clearly changed my, you know, my playing career. Um, and there's emotions that come with that. Um, so in a sense, it did change my life. It would be cool to kind of walk the field and bury the hatchet. Um, whether it actually means anything or not, I don't know, but it definitely doesn't hurt. So, um, you know, side note to that is this year with Michigan football has felt like the 2016 revenge tour. You know, for my senior year, we lost to Iowa. Then we lost to Ohio State. We really probably should have won the Big Ten championship. And then we go to the Orange Bowl and we play Florida State. Well, this year they beat Ohio State. Then they beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship. So they crossed those boxes off for us. Now they're going down to the Orange Bowl. You know, hopefully if they can just take care of business down there, I will consider, you know, the personal and the team hatchet buried. So that's what I'm looking for. Demons are all going to get purged. And before we move on to a little more Michigan-specific talk, you know, your career outside of that game and the matchup versus Georgia, just quick question. Uh, have you read this book called Slow Getting Up by Nate Jackson? Um, it's about – so, ETN Book Club here, and, and we don't have to get into it, but it is about a Broncos, I believe, tight end who just uh, – it's, it's kind of an autobiography type deal, and he kept getting injured. And when I – was writing these questions out. These, this all felt familiar to me. And I was like, there's a book about this that I read years ago. I think I read it in college. So I'm going to have to pass that along to you. Great. I mean, 
are you sure? Maybe, maybe someone wrote a book about me and I didn't know if that's the, you know, the brief rundown sounds a lot, you know, like my career. I'm gonna have to check it out. You will like it. I, I promise you that I'll be very shocked if, uh, if you don't relate to this pretty well, this book, but uh, we'll move on. Um, and, you know, so much of the dialogue and, and even, you know, a good chunk of this podcast has been about that play in that game. But obviously you had a great career beyond that, you know, all big 10, all American receiver, or I'm sorry, tight end in college. And that's a career that shouldn't be overshadowed in any shape or form. So I just want to know from you, what are some moments that stick out to you? Uh, you look back on in a positive light, really cherish, always ask guests to give, you know, one or two that, that stand out to them and stick with them. So what are some moments from your playing days? Uh, it doesn't have to be on the field, could be off, but ones that stick with you to this day. Oh man, there's a bunch. I mean, there's just the story of, you know, as a kid from Columbus, Ohio, I grew up a Buckeye fan. So there's just such great irony in the fact that I went to Michigan Then I get to Michigan um, and you're wide-eyed as a freshman. You have no idea what to expect in your career. Obviously, Michigan's a great school. You're not just going to walk into a, a role. But to have the career that I did, um, you know, actually, I was a two-time All-American. One of the coolest things that I, I look at when I'm, you know, in the building is they have this, you know, wall of All-Americans. And you think about Michigan, over 100 years of history, there's a pretty bit, relatively big list of one-time All-Americans. But then there's a small list of two-time All-Americans. And it's about 20, 21 guys. And my name's on there. That is a great, great honor when you consider the history. There's a Michigan museum um, where they have like legendary moments in Michigan history. They have a football for every win. Um, and my jersey is in that, uh, in that museum. And that's, it doesn't even make sense to me. You know, it's, it's crazy to come full circle and think that my jersey's up there with former U.S. presidents with and I'm not a former, I'm not there, man, but I'm, I'm a part of it. I'm, I'm in there with them, you know, legendary, legendary Michigan players. And my jersey's in the museum. It's one of the coolest things, but probably the coolest thing um, was being elected captain by my teammates. Um, and I don't know how most schools do it. Sometimes the coach is elected. Sometimes it's, you know, other sources that, you know, allow you to be captain. To be elected by my peers um, was the ultimate form of respect um, and, and that's one that really stands out to me that I'll always cherish. We had such great, talented guys on that team. We were so close. A lot of these guys I'd known since my junior year in high school when we were getting recruited. So for them to say, hey, we trust you to represent us. We trust you to go out there and, and perform at a high level on and off the field every single week. We want you to be the captain. That was That's the one that really, really stands out. Um, and maybe last thing, I, I, I don't want to drag on too much here, but it's we didn't accomplish what I would have liked to at the University of Michigan. We were seven and six and five and seven my first two years. Similar. No one gave us a, much respect. You know, Michigan really didn't have national respect. Really, even in the Big Ten, there wasn't a lot of respect. But my junior and season, senior year, we go back to back 10 win seasons. Now Michigan's on that level. We didn't get it, you know, fully done. But there was a certain level of respect, and that helps for recruiting. That helps for brand. All of that matters. So rarely do you go from, like, the bottom to the top in one straight line. It's, it's often a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. I think what we were able to do in my last two seasons was lay a foundation to allow Michigan a certain level of respect to then have future success. And, you know, the team this year really finished the job and, and put us fully on the map. Yeah, you talk about that process, and now that you're on the other side of it, no longer a player – just for me, and I think for most sports fans, the most fun 
time of being a sports fan is during that upswing, right? Like during that build. And that's where Michigan football is right now. Like the build is complete and they are, they've taken off. They're kind of going to the moon right now. That's the most fun. It's not when you're there at the top trying to, you know, stay there. I feel like it's when you're on the way up and establishing yourselves. And uh, I just wonder, like, have you had the opportunity to process that and, and kind of be satisfied maybe in the last few weeks since Indianapolis when there hasn't been any games um, or, you know, process the, the catharsis of beating Ohio State as a fan, as somebody who is connected to the program in ways, like you said, and, and you know, has a special place in the, the program's history. Uh, have you been able to look back at all and just kind of appreciate where you guys are at right now and, and being a part of it? Yeah, I mean, a wise man once said it's about the journey, not the destination. You know, I wonder if Alabama is just numb. Now their expectation is to be in the national championship every year. So anything else, you fall short of it. Where, you know, you come into the season and even people within our own fan base didn't give us a chance, yet here we are. Um, That's really, really cool. And it's always great to have the odds stacked against you and for no one to give you a chance and you to prove them wrong. That's just... It's just, it's just great to say, actually, I believed in myself the whole time when the world counted me out and I actually proved myself right. It's really, really great to see. But um, honestly, the goal actually is to be Bama. It actually is to be numb because you've had so much success. That's obviously the goal. This is the first step. Um, and I told some of the guys in the locker room after they beat Ohio State this year, everybody's celebrating. Great, great team win. But understand this, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. This is the standard now. You know what I mean is this is the standard. We're not going to over celebrate as if we just did something. No, actually, we expected ourselves to do that. This is our standard going forward. I think that that's what this team's got. The moment hasn't been too big. Um, Clearly, they showed up and and really played an almost flawless game against Iowa the next week. So it seems they understand the bigger picture. um, And it's really, really fun to watch. You know, when your team's winning, it's all you, you puff your chest out a little bit wider. You wear your colors a little bit more proud. Um, it's always fun when your team's winning. Yeah, I mean, that perspective seems reflected in Aiden Hutchinson, like you said, kind of the face of the program. Uh, I was in New York for the Heisman stuff, and that was back when we were still allowed to be face-to-face with uh, the athletes. I know they, they called that off for um, for COVID reasons heading down to Miami, but uh, I was glad that we had that opportunity because he just gets it. You know, you can kind of tell when people have a good grasp of, of football and, and their place in it and uh, their, you know, representation of the program kind of like you like I you know right away when you hopped on clearly you can tell they just get it but uh Aiden's been perfect I think for that role and and when he sat down at a press conference I don't do press conferences anymore like I'm I'm a I'm behind the scenes guy but but uh you know got got behind the presser table there and he was electric kind of lit the room up yeah yeah it's uh you gotta wear it with honor um, especially I think there's a certain type of person that's attracted to the University of Michigan of you know, as much as we are, you're going there as a football recruit to play football. You're part of a very, very high level academic institution, a very, very successful network of former alumni. Um, and, you know, you, you, you understand that there's this you have to represent your, your school as a whole. Um, you know, with us being an academic ex- institution, you want to be well spoken. You want to understand how to speak in front of people. When you shake somebody's hand and you look them in the eye, it all matters. It's a little here, a little here, and it adds up to a lot. Aiden's been great. He's been an absolute class act. Um, he's a leader, but he leads by example first. The way he plays, he doesn't take a playoff. 
I've, you know, seen a couple of the practices. He's not taking a, a rep off in practice either. You know, after the Michigan State game this year, everybody in the world is saying, burn it down, start over, man. Same old Michigan. Aiden Hutchinson calls a team meeting after their Monday practice. He says he wants everybody in the uh, weight room in five minutes. And every single player is in the weight room in five minutes looking at Aiden Hutchinson right in his eye. Aiden, what do you want to do, man? Where you're going, I'm going. That's real leadership. That is real culture. And that matters so much in the game of football, which is such a brutal sport. If you don't have love for one another and you don't have culture, it's going to crumble. You don't have a foundation. Um, so Aiden is, is a strong – Aiden, Cade, Josh Ross, um, Hassan, some of these veteran alignment. That's a strong foundation throughout the entire program. So um, he's been an absolute class act. He's been fun, fun to watch. Um, I, you know, I'm biased. I take him number one in the draft. You know, if you're picking number one, typically, you, yeah, you need talent, but you also don't have culture. If you're drafting number one, you don't have culture. Teams with good culture don't get the first pick in the draft. So you have a perfect example of Aiden Hutchinson changing the culture at Michigan. That shows you what he possibly could do for your team in the NFL. So it'll be fun to watch how that shakes out um, in March. Yeah, if he gets that. Number one signing bonus, you might might send you a cut. That was a, a great pitch. <laughs> <I hope>. uh, <laughs> all right, wrapping up, Jake. Michigan versus Georgia. What? Tell me what we're looking at here, because you know I'm a big football fan, football guy. But I watch you know endless hours of it. But when I talk to a former player like yourself, I kind of realize how little I know about the actual sport, especially as someone who's never played. Um, so what? Is, you know, just take me through it. Where does Michigan? maybe have some edges, what worries you. Let's get into the matchup a little bit and educate a football simpleton like me. Yeah, so again, you got Michigan in a situation where a lot of people aren't giving them a chance. Georgia's favored by a touchdown. A lot of people are betting Georgia. They're taking Georgia minus seven. Um, obviously, Georgia has an amazing defense. They were averaging, you know, before the Bama game, 10 points per game their defense was holding their opponents to. That's ridiculous. I think they had allowed three rushing touchdowns the whole year. That's ridiculous. Very, very talented. You got number 99, Jordan Davis, um, in the middle of their defense, defensive line. Dude's an absolute freak. Um, he's their anchor. So I think the story of this is I think actually, you know, no one talks about Georgia's offense against our defense. Georgia's offense, I think, you know, our defense has a, has a big leg up against their offense. I think they should be able to hold them, you know, to 20, 23 points, keep them under that. And then the story will be, can Michigan's offense find cracks in the Georgia defense? We're clearly a run-first offense. Like we just said, Georgia's only given up three rushing touchdowns all season, so it's not going to be easy. But what you, you have to be, be sure that you do is you don't abandon the run early. You can't be, get bored with three, four-yard runs. Um, of course, sometimes you're going to get knocked back, um, but you got to commit to the run. you got to win first and second down. You don't want to be third and long situations against this defense. You want to get into you know third and three, third and five, hopefully avoid third down altogether and start to stretch together some drives. When you have an explosive defense, if you can you know, put together drives, they're not used to a team wearing on them throughout the game. So having some six, eight, nine play drives can maybe exhaust this Georgia defense and then timely, timely play actions and shots downfield, which I think you look at Gaddis throughout the season, I think he's continued to improve week over week. So um, committing to the run, just so that Georgia knows that we will commit to the run and then having timely play action passes, um, getting it out, getting the ball in your playmakers hands and seeing what they can do with that. Um, I think Michigan's correcting some of their red zone troubles. Got to score seven points, not three. 
Um, you need all the points you can get. If they can, if Michigan can get in that 25, 30 point range, I really think they have a really good chance of beating Georgia. And it's a game of momentum. Michigan is really hot right now. They've been playing some of their best football all season. Georgia just faltered against Bama. Now, Bama, Bama struggled with Texas A&M. Bama struggled with Auburn. They've struggled with some lesser teams in their schedule. So um, maybe Michigan's perfectly positioned to go in here and give Georgia their best shot and hopefully come away with the win. All right. Very well said. Uh, we're going to close with very simple exercise. Uh, we'll do this team wins if what happens. We'll boil it down even further. So just pick one thing, and we'll start with Georgia, and you can close with Michigan. So Georgia wins this game if they do what? If they can hold Michigan to under 15 points. And then Michigan wins if? If they can get above 130 yards rushing. All right. Love it. Love the analysis. And then final question, Jake. This may be a loaded question, but what are you going to do in Miami for fun? South Florida, obviously always a fun uh, trip and and this time of year even more so for us northerners so uh anything you got planned that uh you can share safely on the podcast gonna hit the beach put my feet in the sand um get some nice drinks there at a, at a beach bar somewhere eat some good food enjoy the miami nightlife and then what will be really fun is to watch michigan kick georgia's that's what i'm looking forward to all right jake looking forward to it man we will see you down there excellent stuff here on the podcast uh, I'm sure it will not be our last conversation on here and, and uh, appreciate you jumping on. Thanks. All right. Thanks once again to Jake for joining me. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Definitely one of the best guests I've had on. Um, just extremely gifted at, at talking sports and doing it in a way that makes the discussion really comfortable. So I, like I told him at the end, I do not envision that being the last time we, uh, we chat, we chop it up and, talk football so looking forward to the next time looking forward to the game and uh looking forward to getting to our discussion with harold shelton mentioned at the top of the show harold also is uh very skilled at breaking down football breaking down numbers and stats and and applying them in a way um that a fan like myself can understand and uh process so toss it over to harold shelton he's going to talk a lot of football we'll talk some big 10 basketball at the end it is manager of research at Big Ten Network, Harold Shelton. And that discussion starts right now. All right, very pleased to be rejoined by Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network manager of research, to talk some college football playoff, talk some college basketball a little bit here. Uh, But main events are the bowl games that are this week. And glad we were able to squeeze a discussion in H uh, in that kind of lethargic week between Christmas and New Year's. How you feeling? Feeling all right. Um, you know, had a good holiday. It was a busy holiday, a lot of driving around. So uh, didn't get a chance to really relax too much, but got some time to spend with family. And like you said, try to try to end the year with a bang. Uh, got some bowl games starting up on Tuesday, leading into the, the big showdown uh, in Dallas. I mean, in, in Miami. So um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, not looking for any sympathy here, but like this is definitely a week, if not the entire month, where corporate America shuts down. You know, we keep it pushing, but it is it is relatively slow until these games start up. But uh, you know, this is not gonna be one of those things where we try and get everyone to feel bad for the guys who work in sports for a living. Yeah, you know what you when you sign up to to be in sports, you kind of know what you're getting. So it's just part of the biz. I don't know if we talked about it yet, but it kills me when like this trend of uh social media accounts. This is me as somebody who, you know, is a social media manager, administrator, whatever you want to call it. 
uh, some of these teams are like putting graphics up. That's like our social teams are stepping away for the bye week or for the holiday. And like, they want everyone to pat them on the back for, you know, taking time off. I'm like, all right, did you really need to post the graphics saying the social team was stepping away? I'm pretty sure 98% of the fans following are following for the team. Just social yeah, media. Administrators a weird post. Yeah. I think, I think they, they, a lot of times they think that people are following for them and not for the team. Uh, unnecessary in my book. You'll not see a, a graphic like that going out from Big Ten Network. No, nor should you. I mean, again, like you said, you're following because of the team or the, the network or what, whatever the case is. I'm pretty sure it's not for the people posting it. I mean, shout out to the people who do post it. Uh, a lot of fire edits, a lot of a lot of good stuff, but don't really see that. We know pieces. we know that we're getting it. What we're getting into, at least the reason. Right. We know we're not on the team. At least the reasonable people. I think some people in the industry think they're on the team and think they are, uh, you know, part of it, but, uh, yeah, try to keep it in perspective here, age. Exactly. Uh, I, I've definitely noticed over time that, uh, ego gets involved, uh, no matter what job you have. Uh, I try my best not to let my ego get in the way. So that's why we love you on here. And, uh, you know, bringing you on as we do weekly and, and first and foremost, we always try to reflect on the primary guests of the week and their career if they played the Big Ten sport. And this week is a guest that definitely not only played but excelled at the Big Ten level, Jake Butt. Memorable name, uh, obviously a great player. And I was talking to him just kind of uh, comparing his – arc to another one of our um, people that we deal with here a lot at Big Network and Kenny Bell. Uh, Kenny and, and Jake go back uh, to their Denver days. Kenny's a Denver guy. Uh, Jake being a Denver Bronco. Just guys who like built a big brand while in college, you know, by being great players, but also just having either by you know, looks like Kenny has with the fro or a, a goofy name like Jake has at Jake Butt. And, you know, not, not, being their complete identity because they were excellent players first and foremost, but something that has carried into their post football careers and, and given them a lot of clout, a lot of uh, relevance still to this day. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that. And I feel like Jake, Butt just missed his calling. Like if NIL was around when, when he was in school, who knows how much uh, money he could have made based off of the name and the way he played. Um, I think he could have been one of the highest sellers in the league for sure. Oh, no question. I mean, think about the sponsorship opportunities there. He, he said that too. Uh, we talked about in our discussion, his opening up to the athletic uh, did kind of a, just a Q and a piece with them that was influenced by him being kind of the poster boy for the sit or play bowl game discussion. But he also talked about the NIL um, you know, issue in, in that piece and how he definitely would have cashed in when he was playing. So, right. You got a lot of guys like that who, who just missed, but um, still have opportunities now, you know, down the road, having, having built that legacy and I'm sure, you know, the, the next Kenny Bell, the next Jake butter are definitely going to be, uh, taken care of at their respective schools, but let's get some memories about, uh, Jake's playing career. What do you, what do you remember? It wasn't that long ago. Uh, I think it was my first year at, at BTN was his senior year when the injury happened in the orange bowl. Uh, obviously that was the unfortunate ending to a great playing career for Michigan. So what comes off? the uh, top of your dome when you're thinking about a, a guy at a rival school um, in Ann Arbor? Uh, really good player. Really, really good player. Um, mismatch problem. You know, 
Michigan's always known for having really good tight ends, and he was just kind of another one uh, in the lineage. Uh, followed Devin Funches, you know, who uh, had a productive NFL career, didn't miss a beat, uh, you know, won the Mackey you know, as a senior for best tight end in the country. I um, think he was probably the second best offensive player on that 2016 Michigan team. Uh, again, really, really good player. Kind of sort of gets forgotten about at times, I think, just because of the way the 2016 season ended. Um, you know, I think that was probably Harbaugh's second best team um, there. But the way that the, the season ended with the controversy in Ohio State game and then them losing the Orange Bowl, that team kind of gets forgotten about. But I certainly remember him and remember how good of a player he was. Yeah, definitely a good point, because I remember um, obviously the name from those instances, especially the injury. And then when I was looking at his bio, just to like, Fresh my memory, I'm like, oh wow, you know, all Big Ten, all Big Ten, tight end of the year, all American. Um, dude was a baller and great speaker too. Like I was telling him kind of straight up on the pod, but uh a guy who just has a gift for explaining the game in a way that you see a lot of former players can, but not every former player can. And then on top of that, just blends in a kind of magnetic personality into it, able to weave between the game and and non-footballisms and uh, just does in a way that you kind of, you know, you hear enough of these guys and you, and you kind of know who has a future in, in media if they want it. Yeah, no, I, I think there's something to be said for that. And um, I know Michigan State Twitter was kind of giving him a hard time, um, you know, leading the last few weeks, but he's been, you know, having a lot of fun with it, good natured stuff. You can, you can tell he's a really sharp guy. You know, it seems like he has a really good personality. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if that translated into his future career, wherever that winds up being. Like you said, he seems like a really sharp guy. Yep. We'll uh, stay tuned for sure. And we'll keep it pushing now to some bowl talk as we sit here. Uh, it is Monday. I think this episode will drop Wednesday morning. So we'll miss, I believe, Minnesota gets going Tuesday night. Yeah. But uh, we can just kind of look at it from an overarching standpoint. Jake and I previewed the Michigan game a little bit, and we'll do that here uh, shortly, H. But what kind of stands out to you when you look at the bowl schedule? We added a, a team. Rutgers makes the 10th Big Ten team with some COVID issues popping up in that Tax Slayer Bowl. First of all, we can just talk about that. Like, it's kind of a frenzy on uh, Wednesday night on the 22nd when that news was breaking. I was at the Illinois basketball game uh, in St. Louis, and a lot of people were like that I knew at the game were coming up to me asking if Illinois was going to take that spot. And a lot of them were convinced they were, I think, because of the Shad Khan connection in Jacksonville. That's where the, the uh, Gator Bowl is located. And uh, I I said, no, I'm pretty sure it's Rutgers that is uh, getting that bowl game. So shout out to Rutgers getting to a, a bowl in year two, I believe, under Greg Schiano. I'm sure fans are uh, are thrilled about that, even if it was a COVID replacement game. No one's going to care about that when they look, look back on it. No, not at all. And I think it's really interesting for Rutgers that I think this Gator Bowl, I mean, it's – either the best or second best bowl they've ever played in. And it's kind of, it's funny that we went into the final week of the season and it was Maryland Rutgers and the winner goes to a bowl and the loser goes home and the loser wound up getting a better bowl game. Um, it's just kind of funny how it worked out, but uh, I'm I'm sure that will certainly help uh, Shiano as the rebuild continues. Now you can go into Florida, you can recruit some more, 
to get the extra practice time. Guys like Gavin Wimsack can get some more reps under his belt. Um, I think this is, you know, a really, really big deal for Rutgers. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, how they do against Wake Forest. They're a big underdog in that game. But Wake Forest's defense not so great. So Rutgers has a chance to put up some points. Yeah, so Big Ten has been a beneficiary to kind of the turmoil that's gone on. Uh, you know, we're in COVID hell right now when it comes to just uncertainty. And the sports world is just kind of, you know, on pins and needles. But uh, 10 bowl teams, like I said, and have not crossed your fingers to this point, had a game disrupted by the COVID, uh, COVID surge here. So, um, you know, looking at those, those games across the board, what jumps out at you uh, as far as a game that you will circle? Obviously, college football playoff is the big one on Friday night, New Year's Eve, but any other ones that you're looking forward to? I'm sure you got your eyes on your guys, even though uh, there's some notable opt-outs in that game as well. Yeah, the, I guess, big picture overarching theme, the fact that Rutgers made it now gives us 10 bowl teams, like you said, that ties our record for for most bowl teams that we've had. I've you know, done it a few different times, but um, hadn't done it in like the last three or four years. So, you know, shout out to tying the record. Uh, I think Big Ten's favorite in six of the games. The most we won uh, in a bowl season is seven. So, you know, we'll see uh, if the Big Ten can go ahead and take care of business there. You got your usual Big Ten SEC stuff. Um, you know, Purdue's going back to Music City Bowl. That was the last time they were in the postseason. That didn't go so well when they played Auburn and gave up 49 in the first half, so 56 in the first half. So uh, let's see if they can rebound there. Uh, you mentioned Michigan State, you know, year two to go from two wins to New Year's six. You know, really, really big deal. Chance to close the season with 11 wins. Uh, like you said, no Kenny, no Kenneth Walker, no Kenny Pickett. You know, kind of as a as a bummer when you lose, you know, two of the top six Heisman contenders. Um, but should still be a fun game there. I'm really looking to see Ohio State's motivation in this game uh, in the Rose Bowl against Utah. Uh, Utah's first appearance, physical team, smash mouth team. Didn't go so well for Ohio State the last time we saw them play a physical team, um, you know, in their last game against Michigan. And Ohio State gave 7,000 tickets back. Like, doesn't seem like people really are into going to Pasadena. I guess they're so used to, you know, playoff and Big Ten championship stuff that the Rose Bowl might seem like a downer for some of those fans. And so it's going to be a lot of Utah red in that building. And I'll just kind of be curious to see the Buckeyes motivation level. Um, you know, obviously a lot of receivers on that team that could leave. Just I, I'll be curious to see if, if they strike first and, you know, kind of get on Utah early and don't let up or if Utah controls the pace and punches them in the mouth, how do they respond? Yeah, as so we talked about the notable opt-outs, right? Walker, uh, Pickett for Pitt, um, the Heisman contenders, and then uh, other notable ones in the Big Ten, uh, Carl Loftus and Bell for Purdue. And there's one more you reminded me of that I – yeah, Tyler Goodson for Iowa, so he'll miss that Citrus Bowl against Kentucky. Yeah, and, you know, this, I think, a few years ago when it was more of a shock and, like, a new thing, people had more of a reaction, you know, more hot takes to it. I think people are used to it now. There's not really an outcry about it. It's just, you know, don't want to get into it too deeply because I have no problem with players sitting out making that uh, decision for the draft and their future careers because uh, I just think it's it's worth, you know, bringing up just because we had Jake Butt on um, this episode and – as he delicately put it or 
you know, smartly put it, I should say, he, you know, is not only the the poster child for this argument, but the narrative gets framed from both perspectives around his experience, right? Like people can say, well, you know, Jake Butt said he wanted to play, still maintains that he wanted to play, doesn't regret it. Or people can say, look what happened to him. Look what he potentially lost out on. Who knows how his career would have turned out. Um, so it was just refreshing, I think, to hear it from, uh, you know, hear his words and hear it from him, the source, directly. And and he recognizes that there is nuance in something like this. Everyone has to make their own decision. And obviously, he's the best messenger for it. But his career, you know, maybe becomes a Pro Bowl tight end if he never plays in that game. Maybe it happens the exact same way, just a different sequence of unfortunate injuries. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts or takeaways. I think we're just kind of in a place now where it's expected and players even opt out earlier than, than bowl games sometimes just to, to hang it up and uh, get ready for the next level. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. Um, just as a fan, you know, for selfish reasons, like it'd be nice to see Kenneth Walker play one more time. It'd be nice to see David Bell and George Karloftis and Tyler Goodson play one more time, completely understand the decision. You know, there's millions of dollars riding, you know, on the line and you've, You've played a regular season in Goodson's case, you played a regular season and a Big Ten championship game. You know, you you've proven yourself and you you've played multiple seasons and now you got a chance to cash in at the end. I completely get it. I do think if you expand, you maybe you get rid of some of these opt-outs. If you go to 12 teams, you get Pitt and Michigan State both in the playoff, they're playing in that game. They're not gonna opt out of a playoff game. I just, I would be very, very surprised with a national championship still on the line. But, you know, we're getting to the point now where a New Year's Six game is like, congrats, that's cool, but my money's still more important. So I'm going to opt out. I, th- I do think uh, a potential expansion could help uh, with some of those issues. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the reason that the uh, anti-expansion folks always give is that like, you know, games don't mean as much. Well, it seems like, seems like there has been a clear line drawn by most of these players that, Hey, like if the game has, it is more than an exhibition. Like if there's something on the line, uh, they're still going to suit up. And like you said, if they expand the playoff, it's an easy way to give these games more meaning um, not to get in that whole debate. It seems like we're back to a place where it's trending toward expansion. I feel like there was teetering for a little while when the conference realignment was shifting around uh, in the last few months, but uh, I'm, confident you know having no sources whatsoever that i think public opinion will win out in this one yeah it just seems like a standoff between all of the leagues and you kind of wonder who's going to blink first they all want the same thing they just want it in a different way it seems like everybody wants some sort of expansion i guess it just is a matter of what makes the most sense for everybody involved whether it's you know all of the automatic qualifiers you know the conference champions get in okay well do you have, how many at largest do you have? Do you go to eight? Do you go to 12? Seems like everybody's in for some kind of expansion, which is good. Now it's just a matter of, you know, stopping the standoff, actually coming to agreement and figuring something out. And if it isn't unanimous, so what? Like figure out a consensus and go from there. For sure. So, um, you know, as part of my job as a social media guy, I'm, I'm trying to get the, landscape set up for this week in in South Florida, right? Like I'm trying to figure out where the fans will be, where the events are, where we can, um, you know, do some social media content, some videos, find some unsuspecting Georgia fans, all that. So my, my opposition research 
going on Georgia message boards uh, and trying to find out where they'll be hanging out. And in the process, you know, I'm seeing thread titles like Michigan's doom, you know, uh, Michigan's going to be an easy opponent, cakewalk, all that, um, which is like, you know, pretty basic, any message board, you'll, you'll, you'll find that, but seems like Georgia fans are confident. Do you think they should be, or do you think, uh, they'll be humbled a little bit in this matchup? Uh, I don't see it being a blowout either way, to be honest. And it's funny, like you mentioned those uh, those Georgia fans. And, you know, I listen to Detroit radio here and there. And then you, it's a lot of Michigan fans that are calling in, you know, expecting, you know, already looking forward to Alabama and the national championship game. So it's, it's going on both sides, which is which is interesting to me. Um, I think this is uh, this isn't a great matchup for either side, to be honest. Um, both teams are very similar. They want to run the ball. They're both physical. They want to play defense. They don't want to have their quarterback win the game for them. But I feel like because they're so similar, the quarterback probably has to win the game for, you know, whether it's Kay McNamara doing it or whether it's Stetson Bennett doing it. Um, Kirby Smart usually has an issue trying to figure out quarterbacks and which one to play. Uh, looks like he won't have to have that uh, decision. He won't have to make that decision this time because it appears JT Daniels uh, you know, tested positive for COVID, so he won't be there, uh, supposedly. And Stetson Bennett will be the guy there. Last time we saw him, didn't look so great against Alabama. And so I feel like Michigan does have an advantage at quarterback. And if it winds up coming down to that, I think they would be in pretty good shape. Um, I'll just be curious to see if Georgia can run in between the tackles against them, stay out of third and long, because as you see, all year long, when he gets to third and long, Michigan's got a couple guys on the edge that can get to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, I don't care what league, you know, Georgia's in. I don't know if they've seen two guys like that all year long. Yeah, talking to Jabo and Hutchinson. And uh, it's interesting. He's, Michigan showed a little something in the Big Ten Championship game, opened the playbook a little bit, uh, got that, I believe it was second touchdown um, on the, the trick play. Do you think – they will be forced to open it up again, um, you know, just with Georgia being so stingy, or do you think they play it straight, keep it tight, and, uh, you know, just kind of wear them down? I know Jake earlier mentioned he thinks they just got to stay after it, ground and pound, you know, establish drives. I'm wondering if you think they need to mix it up or, or commit to, you know, a steady run, like Jake said. So you did. I think it's interesting. They've had wrinkles all year long. They've just mixed them in, you know, at different times. I'd say sometimes they even got a little too cute. Um, I remember early in the Michigan Ohio State game where, you know, they go right down the field and they score and then they get a turn, you know, they get a three and out or I think it was a turnover and they tried throwing to go up 14 nothing real quick and turned it over and got Ohio State back in the game. They, I, I do think they need to stay with their game plan, but they can't go too conservative. I don't think just lining up and running 50 times to get 150 yards is the way to go. You know, they've run, you know, into rounds with AJ Henning all year. I don't see why that should, uh, why that should stop. You know, they've gotten Donovan Edwards more involved these last three, four games. I don't see why that should stop. Um, you know, they've gotten, you know, Corm on the edges a lot. They should continue to do that. We've seen Roman Wilson become a big part of the offense these last few games. Kay McNamara has let it go. Cornelius Johnson's been able to get deep. I mean, they've got a lot of guys. They've got a lot of weapons. And so I do feel like running the ball is what they want to do, and they should try to see if they can establish that first. But 
I still think you need to be balanced in order to win this game. And so they need to get as many guys involved as possible to keep Georgia on their heels because the secondary is their weakness. I don't think running your head up against a wall against that front seven is the way to go. Is there any negative to this like huge wave they're riding of, of confidence of optimism? Like I, I know that's how the fans are feeling. It's hard to tell what the, the players are feeling. It seems like, you know, from their statements, they are remaining focused, you know, remaining locked in. It's not like they're overconfident or anything like that. Uh, when things go so well, you know, for so long, as that one Michigan State game aside, I, you, you got to feel confident if you're a player probably heading into a game. It doesn't matter who it is. So, um, I don't know. Do you think, like, I just think back to, and this is a personal anecdote, you know, and and still scarred, but just how well things were going for Illinois basketball until they ran into Loyola. And maybe they overlooked Loyola last year in the basketball tournament. And Michigan's not overlooking Georgia. But do you think there's any, you know, <clears throat> potential traps laid in being a confident team and, and riding this wave that has gone on for, you know, at least a full month now post-Ohio State win? I think what helps them is that most people are expecting Georgia to win the game. Right. You know, so even though that I think they're they're confident and they should be. I think they have really good leaders with Hutchinson and Haskins. And, you know, they've got vets, you know, on both sides of the line, which I think helps tremendously. And, you know, the fact that a lot of people didn't pick them to beat Ohio State. A lot of people didn't see them scoring 42 points against Iowa. A lot of people are already talking Georgia Alabama rematch. So, you know, if I'm Michigan, I can go ahead and internalize being an underdog, even though they probably think they're the better team. And so I think that that works for them, that they can go ahead and, oh, no one believes in us. No one thought we would be here. We were unranked to start the season, you know, all of that stuff. You could play up that stuff again. And if they win and play Bama, it'll be the same thing again. And so... You know, I think it helps to have that confidence. I think it helps to have the leaders that they have. And I think the public perception is that yeah, Michigan's a good team. They beat Ohio State. That's great. But Georgia's a different animal. And I don't know if they'll be ready for that. I think they could use that to their advantage for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I always love the when the <clears throat> objectively great teams do the no one believe in us. And for this one, it's true. Like, nobody did believe in Michigan, really. You know, maybe except themselves heading into this season. You saw that reflected in their uh, non-top 25 status entering the year. But uh, it's like when the Tom Brady's and the you know New England Patriots do the nobody believe in us car that I always get a kick out of it. And Bryce Young pulled it at the Heisman. I mean, he was like a top 20 national recruit. Yeah. He's at Alabama. Oh, no one believed in us. No one believed in me. You know, I had to go out and prove myself to the haters and all. It's like, dude, like you're a five-star QB. Like, people thought you'd be good. Like, congrats, you, you got it done. But, I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere. Like, you were a preseason favorite to win the award. You seen, you know, you saw with Michael Jordan in the last dance how you, he just had to create boogeyman no matter what, right? Like, had to be, even if it was some scrub on the other team, you know, he had to lock in on him, give him 35, and, and it was because this guy disrespected him you know, maybe two years ago, something like that. It's just how these great athletes, programs, teams function. No, yeah. And, I, you know, again, whatever works, you know, I, I always find it a little silly, but I'm not playing. So, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, I guess, for, you know, those teams or those programs to, 
know, to get to the level they need to get to, you know, do what you got to do. All right. Good stuff, H. Before we wrap up, um, let's talk a little bit of basketball. So obviously huge week for football. We got New Year's Eve is the the big one. Um, we'll, be, we'll be tuned in. But basketball is still going on with Big Ten play about to resume. Uh, we hope, you know, and close to its entirety, just a lot of a lot of things shifting college basketball right now with with COVID. And we thought we were past this and clearly are not. So uh, we'll try to keep it on the, the positive side with, for one, the top 25 being released today. And your guys are in the top 10. Like Michigan State is a sneaky top 10 team because I haven't, to be honest, you know, thought positively or negatively about them either way, you know, until I see the rankings every weekend. It's like, oh, yeah, like they are, you know, still very much relevant in the national scene. You know, they came into the season unranked, so you might forget about them despite them playing the Champions Classic. They lost that that first game. So uh, it's just one of those things where your guys are doing it again and, and look to be very solid. And I don't know if you had any other takeaways from how the Big Ten is unfolding. We just talked last week, so we, we kind of caught up on it. But uh, I think that would be my my takeaway from the, uh, you know, the last week of 2021 heading into a new year. Yeah, I think, and I, th- I know we touched on it a little bit, but, you know, I was very convinced after early December, it was going to be Purdue and everybody else. And like, I thought Illinois had the potential to get there and maybe they would be a better team in March. But in terms of the regular season race, I felt like they kind of had too many peaks and valleys to, to win the league. And then I'm like, okay, Michigan State, I think it'd be good. But I don't know if they have enough point guard, you know, at point guard in terms of making sure you don't turn the ball over as much, do they have enough shooters, that kind of thing. And now I look and you see the way Purdue played against Rutgers and NC State, the way Illinois has looked recently, like even without Carbello, like those dudes, they're they're scary when they're on. And Michigan State has kind of just been steady, you know, getting better every every game out. Tyson Walker looks better every game. And Ohio State is kind of sneaking around. You know, they had some tough losses early. Seton Hall, they barely got by Akron. But then they beat Duke and, you know, they killed Wisconsin. EJ Liddell looks like a stud. But then they've been on COVID shutdown. We didn't get to see him against Kentucky. And they kind of been shut down throughout the holiday. So I feel like this race could be a lot of fun. I didn't know how fun it would be uh, in, in early December, but it seems like there's four or five teams that could really make some noise. And I think the league's a little deeper than I thought it would be too. So even though there might be four or five contenders, there's still another two or three teams that could jump up and bite somebody on a given day. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if Michigan figures it out and, and rounds into the form that a lot of people thought they would be entering the year. Minnesota will be curious to see if they can maintain this you know level of, Success. They gotta. They gotta beat some better teams, but that you know, Michigan um, beating them by ten. That that was <clears throat> no small thing. So that kind of proved that they're at least you know somewhat legit. It's not just just uh, bums that they're they're feasting on. So and then, honestly, when you start nine one ten and one in a first year head coach, like it doesn't matter who you're playing. That's still impressive. Just when you have all new guys like that, getting you know avoiding any setbacks is is a big deal. Um, talked about Wisconsin or mentioned them briefly. Uh, was I think impressive, you know, to this point, just to see them still in the top 25, right? Like it wasn't a win Maui sneak in and then get bounced and you don't hear from them the rest of the year. Like they 
have enough talent, I think, to to hang around. Um, and they're better than people thought. Yeah, and I think it's you know we, again we we go into the year and it's a lot of the usual suspects in terms of the teams, uh, but in terms of the players, like I don't know how many people saw Johnny Davis being you know top two or top three guy in the Big Ten right now. Uh, same with Keegan Murray at Iowa. You know, people, you you saw flashes of him last year, but obviously he's behind Garza and Wee's camp. So you you see a little bit. Not an expected jump to be this big so far. Um, so it, it's cool seeing like those kind of guys, you know, step to the forefront to join the Jay Nivies, to join the EJ Liddells, to join Kofi, Trevian Williams. So it looks like we're going to have, in addition to the Big Ten championship race the player to, the player of the year race could be a lot of fun too bardo called that Stephen bardo called the missouri game um just before christmas and a lot of quotes were swirling how on social media how he said some version of how illinois maybe is or could be the best team in the big 10 uh i think that's still a big leap to make over purdue but i want to get your thoughts on that comment and how true it could be you know down the stretch I think if both teams are firing at all cylinders, I think it's certainly possible. I think Illinois has more top-end talent, um, especially the way that Plummer's shooting the ball. But I don't see – I don't know if they'll be as consistent through a 20-game season, hopefully, to to win the league. Now, would I be shocked if Illinois just beat Purdue because they're just a better matchup head-to-head? Not at all. Would I be shocked if Illinois potentially went further in March just because their ceiling could be higher? Not at all. But in terms of a 20-game season, I see them having more peaks and valleys than Purdue would. Yeah, what I like about Illinois and what I really like compared to how they looked the first couple of weeks of the year when it was a kind of a disaster in a few of those games. Uh, <clears throat> and a lot of this is by necessity because Corbello is out. Um, but they were such a pick-and-roll dominant team in the first couple – weeks and it was not working they weren't moving the ball weren't getting those shooters looks Plummer was pretty quiet for the first week or two of the year uh and now we've got a necessity they move the ball a lot more they go inside out Kofi's passing the ball out finding shooters I think they're being less hesitant and and are taking open shots when they have them um and they're you know they got a lot of shooters and it's, and, and they're playing a brand of basketball that is proven in this era to be the most effective one right like make a lot of threes and get a lot of easy twos. And that's what they're built for right now. Uh, just with, you know, those guys in the wing and, and Kofi down low. I'll say too, like what makes Purdue really scary is like Travion Williams is playing at the top of his game right now. Um, it was one of those things where I realized, you know, one or two games in, like this dude's not even starting. Like what's going on? I mean, I trust Matt Painter, but what does that do for a guy's, you know, head when he was a all big 10 preseason guy has been excellent in the past. And, now he's coming off the bench. Uh, I think he's back in the starting lineup now, but he's super impressive and, and has been, uh, you know, doing it all. And, and it's just one of those really, really versatile bigs that uh, don't come around all that often. That's a culture thing, right? I mean, for Matt Painter to get a guy like that with those kind of accolades, those kind of expectations to say, hey, look, we think Zach Eady should be starting. You know, you're still going to play. But we need you to lock in and be a great teammate. And when your number's called, like, we need you to come in and ball. And he was the biggest cheerleader, you know, and when, when Edie was playing well. And then, obviously, they needed him. And it's like, okay, let me take this. Let me put the cape on and go out here and 
you know, put up these crazy numbers. You know, I mean, he absolutely needed it against NC State. And so, like you said, he's back in the starting lineup now. But I just think that goes, you know, with the culture there. And I remember, like, the Carson Edwards team, you know, that got to the lead eight. They pretty much just built the offense around him. But you have to have those guys buy in. Like, look, we're going to run it through Carson because he's special. And he's going to take some shots that probably aren't great. But look, like, this is the way we need to, to play to win to get to our, you know, our best. And all those dudes bought in. And, you know, you get to see a Ryan Klein go crazy in the Sweet 16 and stuff like that. But he just built such a culture there, such a winning program that, you know, I think you have to just trust his decision making because more often than not, he's going to be right. Yeah, no question. Really well said. And like you said, testament to a guy who's ultimate trust in his guys, because also he now finds targets, handpicks guys that fit that Purdue culture. Um, Purdue fans have it really good. And, and. I'm envious of, you know, what they built and uh, impressed by what, you know, so everything that I see with Painter and like inter- all the interactions, like it, it's just uh, leaves me with a good feeling because the guy is a good coach and, and a, just a funny dude. I talked about how we were, how I was sitting behind him at the scores table at the NC State game and just hearing his like exchanges with the bench and his staff are hilarious. And I, I wish a camera could be on him, like mic him up at all times. Yeah. And it's funny because you, I feel like people don't know that he has that personality. Like they don't dry. know how yeah. funny he is. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get him away from the camera. He's hilarious, but you know, he looks pretty serious. Like anytime the camera's on him and he's all business and, you know, he's talking to his guys, he's instructing his guys. He might not be as animated as an Izzo, but like he's still animated. But like you said, you pull that camera away. I mean, he's a, he's a laugh a minute. He's great. Yeah. At media day, you know, we always run through these questions with the coaches, try and get their personalities out of them, which is, you know, terrifying for the few of them, but for most of them, they play along. And we asked one of the questions, it was in the middle of our long list, was about how Painter cooks his steak or something like that. And after we were done, he like pulls out his phone, he's hanging around to the point where we had to like kick him out of the room because other people were coming in and he was like showing on his phone, like this new smoker he got and all the ways he's like cooking his meats lately and how he's like really into it. And we had to like say, all right, coach, like uh, you got to go as he was like scrolling on his phone. And that was just <laughs> hilarious to me that he, he uh, wanted to show that off. What did he say, by the way? How do you want, how do you cook it? I can't remember. We'll share, we'll share the video, the football one. We asked the same questions to the football coaches and that video did pretty well. It's things like yeah, that yeah. that people want to know. Like you gotta, you gotta know, you know, how your coach is, is eating, right? Like if you, if you can really trust him or not as a person. Yeah, I know if if I hear well done, I got, you know, I'm giving you a side eye. And even if you're my guy, I'm still going to give you a side eye. That's that's that stuff. I do remember for football, I think the only well done guy was Franklin. And that was a rehabilitated well done. Like he used to. He said he used to do well and has since, uh, I think, gone almost all the way in the opposite direction, gone to like rare, medium rare. So um, I don't know. It's it's. It's funny to see all the answers strung together because, like, you ask the questions over a couple of days and you forget who says what, but then uh, you see it play out. And you're like, oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I enjoy those videos. Those are always fun. Um, you kind of get some get some personality out of those guys from asking the the different questions, the the pick this or that. The, the steak one's always a funny one, though. For sure. All right, H. Uh, happy New Year. We got to wrap up here. Um, for length purposes, but it's been a great 2021 for the most part. We're, we're closing off a little, little shaky here with, with COVID 
surging again, but hopefully we can get that under control. It's been a great year on the pod, obviously. I uh, appreciate you always being willing to jump on and uh, looking forward to, to more fun. 22, hoping for a good week to close us out here. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've had a lot of fun this year. Uh, again, hope to do it even more next year. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we can in, in the in the year with a bang, uh, get some get some bowl wins and, you know, take that momentum into the next year. All right. Thanks once again to Harold, Jake, for joining the show. Two awesome guests. Um, really good conversations with both of them. And uh, you know, definitely both have, a, like I like I said, when I was introing them, a way of explaining sports uh, that I was not blessed with and, and many people aren't, but um, always lucky to have people like them on to simplify the game and, and um, enjoy talking about it while they're doing it. So appreciate them. Appreciate everyone out there for listening as 2021 comes to a close and some huge games to close it out. And whether you're a Michigan fan or not, obviously rooting for them to bring us a Big Ten championship, bring us a natty home. I haven't had one since the Buckeyes in 2014 in football, and I've become one of those, obviously because of my job, one of those uh, conference supporters, kind of SEC has been stigmatized for having those fans who root for the conference. But, of, of course, you know, I've become one of those fans. I think one of the good things that uh, we see on our social media platforms is all the fans kind of coming together during bowl season and supporting the conference, even though some of those rivals are ones that can get bitter throughout the season. Generally, we see an outpouring of uh, Big Ten fans listening to each other up during this time of year. So keep that holiday spirit going, keep the conference spirit going, and hopefully have a good next couple of weeks here, a good showing in our bowl games, and uh, make it to Indianapolis for national championship in a couple of weeks in football. All right, I hope everyone uh, stays healthy out there. Tough time right now for sure with uh, surging cases, but um, appreciate everyone for, for listening nonetheless. And appreciate Julie Bronder for stitching the show, as she always does. Um, quick reminder, if you have not done so already and you like the podcast and the discussions, subscribe where podcasts are found pretty much everywhere, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and we're also on YouTube as well, so you can see these interviews on video. Subscribe to the Big Ten Network YouTube channel and find the playlist for the Tick Ten Podcast. All right, that'll do it for this episode. That'll do it for 2021. See you next year, next episode. Stay safe, and thanks for listening.